Hello and welcome to Ringer FC, Brett. the uh, first post soccer version of this podcast where we're just fact checking the Johnny Knoxville <laughs> movie every week. Now that soccer in America is no longer a thing, <laughs> it's a just kidding. Fun. It's crazy how it's over now. <laughs> just kidding. We're actually this weekend was great and we got to see some good soccer, non depressing soccer um, for some of us, not for Micah. Uh, I'm joined by <laughs> Micah Peters. Hello. And Donnie Kwok. Hello. Chris Ryan is not here. Uh, he was sacrificed at the altar in the way that Bruce Arena was last week, <laughs> and he'll never return. Um, just kidding. He'll probably be back next week. Um, today, we're going to go through some news, some massive overreactions, some zonal question marks, and then we'll have on uh, the de facto ringer USMNT correspondent, Noah Davis, uh, to talk about the depressing aftermath of what happened to the U.S. last week and some non-depressing stuff with uh, the flourishing U.S. U-17, U-17 teenagers. Yeah. Um, so first bit of news from today, um, World Cup draw, the UEFA playoff draw happened. We got the four matchups. There's Switzerland, Northern Ireland, Croatia, Greece, Denmark v. Ireland, and Italy versus Sweden. Who do you guys think has the biggest upset potential in this? Well, I mean, wasn't, well, Switzerland finished level on points with Portugal in their qualifying group, correct? Yeah, they were nine, nine wins and one loss. Yeah, but like (laughs) way, like, but but like very far behind on a goal differential because they just had trouble, like, breaking down teams. Yeah. And that's going to be an issue when you come against a team like North, Northern Ireland, mm-hmm. who is, you know, very content to park the bus and play counterattacking football. So I think that probably has the biggest upset potential. What do you think, Donnie? I'm going, so if you go by FIFA rankings, which obviously you should never go by. But if, if, you, if, you, if you go Remember by when them, the USA was top 10? <laughs> I'm going with, uh, I guess, as Mike and the Mag Dog might say, like all the dogs, man. I'm going with Northern Ireland, Greece, Ireland, and Sweden. So just complete chaos. Yeah, mark my words. All the dogs. Chaos is the most fun anyway. So, (laughs) I I can't imagine Northern Ireland being in the World Cup. It just doesn't seem like a thing that should ever happen, (laughs) basically. Um, Which is rude to all of my Irish Isle brethren, I guess. But like Roy Carroll. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, Roy Carroll, the uh, famed uh, backup to Tim Howard. Um, I think. I think I'd probably go with Sweden as the upset special here, if you could even call that an upset. Um, Maybe Zlatan will suddenly magically heal and come out of retirement. Um, Second piece of news is the U.S. is starting to look at some possible managerial replacements. We have no idea how grounded in reality these reports are, but the two options that were floated out today are former... England manager. Sam Allardice. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Allardice and uh, former France and PSG manager Laurent Blanc, um, both of whom sort of had very troubled histories as international managers for various reasons. Sam Allardyce uh, was fired because he was caught on tape discussing with a undercover reporter how to circumvent the transfer system. And Laurent Blanc famously, infamously, uh, was also recorded. Trying to cap uh, the number of African and Arab players on the French national team at, what, 13? Yeah, at the youth level. Yeah. Um, So uh, Blanc seems like he'd be the perfect manager for Trump America. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Putting all of that aside, which one of these two guys do you think would be a better fit, I guess, tactically for the U.S.? Um, tactically. And which one would make you less depressed? I guess Allardyce <laughs> is the obvious answer. Allardyce is the obvious answer because, I mean, it just makes the most sense. I mean, like, it's the, it seems like the most, uh, I guess, in terms of culture and style, uh, like the, let's just not, no nonsense, let's not squander the ball, let's just do everything correct. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll be boring, but... I mean, they won't lose games to uh, Trinidad. To Trinidad, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think they're both pretty horrible choices, but I, I think the 
uh, we're going to see in the next months, weeks, you know, like tons of high profile names in the mix for this. And I think the USA job really is a plum job because you're going to get a lot of money. There's only one way to go, really, but up. And the U.S. is like a developing nation <laughs> in soccer terms. So it's like you're going to, you you know, there's the, the expectations are high, I guess, maybe unreasonably high. But um taking this project here you know like after the disaster of not qualifying it's it's like a it's a high risk high reward yeah type of job i i don't even know how much risk there is at this point for the reasons you just outlined like just don't yeah, maybe low do risk high reward. <laughs> just don't do what just happened you're gonna be in good shape and it seems low like risk yeah and it seems like a if they're gonna commit to someone now that person they're committing to for five years so you know that sort of cushion is a thing that you don't really get um, in the managerial world. But you're right. I think every every manager is going to eventually be uh, connected with this job until they name someone and probably even after. Maybe Craig Shakespeare could even be a name. <laughs> Craig <laughs> Shakespeare. Uh, the, He's got the British accent, at least. Exactly. Uh, mm. Former interim Leicester manager now and now former temporary Leicester manager, uh, Craig Shakespeare, was Leicester, quote, parted ways with him today. Yeah. Um, are, are we saying that this is a, I mean, the thing is that like, I don't, I don't know exactly what they expected hiring Craig Shakespeare full time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we are now halfway through the month of October and Leicester is only one, one game in the Premier League. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, like Leicester isn't a terrible side, you know what I no. mean? And th- it didn't make sense that they're as f- you know, far down bottom as they are. I mean, like he was given 60 million pounds over the summer to bring in uh, Manchester City's uh, Kalichi Iannaccio, um, brought in Harry Maguire, Vincent Ibor from Sevilla. Um, you know, and now it's over. <laughs> Michael Appleton is going to be managing the side against yeah, Swansea City. The generic British name generator strikes <laughs> again. <laughs> I could not get away with naming... A character Michael Appleton in a romance novel. I'm just saying. Anyway, <laughs> what, what do you think? Think about this, Donnie. I know you had a soft spot in your heart for Leicester, at least last year in the Champions League. Yeah, I, I, I fear for Leicester. I think it's really it, it might really get worse and implode because I think Mares is definitely going. I think Vardy, especially with you know, striker openings at like Everton or Chelsea even. I think Vardy could be gone. And I think it could get worse. I mean, I don't know necessarily if they're going to get relegated. It's early days yet, I guess. But um, it seems like the Ranieri whole era is definitely ending. Yeah, weirdly, I feel like the Ranieri getting fired wasn't the end of the Ranieri era, but Shakespeare getting fired was. Um, Now we're, we're just clearly removed from that. And you're right, Micah, they haven't. Their goal differential is only minus three, which is like, that shouldn't put you in the relegation fight. Um, They've played pretty well against Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. Um, So I I think they've been unlucky in a lot of ways. Um, I guess you kind of hope that they get that new manager bump right when they hire someone. I think the new manager might, whoever it is, might just do well by the team sort of performing closer to how you would expect them to, sort of what happened with Shakespeare um, after Ranieri got fired on a string of unlucky results. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it's definitely the end of uh, the Lester fairy tale. But uh, overall, it's still impressive that they've managed to sort of solidify themselves in the Premier League. We'll always Ho- have him just, you know, ripping the legs out from under Sevilla. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, that was a great moment. Um, <laughs> all right. On to some massive overreactions. We'll start with this one. Jose Mourinho is just Sam Allardyce with a Portuguese accent. I I think we know who's going to take the answer on this one. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it, Micah. Five minutes. (laughs) No, I mean, would you... The thing is that, like, I've... you know, like I was guilty of this because I said you should watch this game this weekend. I am so sorry if you watched it. Um, Just remember that I told you guys not to watch it. That's true. So Ryan was right. I'm on your and side. I was less right. But anyway, <laughs> um, Manchester United 
um, go to Anfield, come away with a point, which was Jose Mourinho's goal. But it doesn't. It feels disingenuous to say that they were playing for a draw because they would not have had a draw if if not for uh, David de Gea being David de Gea. Yeah, and uh, Mo Salah. Being you know, Mo Salah. Being Mo Salah. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uh, really bad finishing and very lucky saves. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, there's a point where Romelu Lukaku could have made it 1-0, um, took that extra hitch in his step, like, one too many touches in the box and, you know, panicked, for lack of a better word, which that's not exactly right either. But even if you're looking at uh, Jose Mourinho's post-match comments, I mean – that's not the way that you talk if you're going to eventually win the league. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing thing here for me is this is sort of the question we've all kind of been dancing around the first couple weeks of the season because Manu has looked incredible, but they've had one of the easiest, if not the easiest schedule in the Premier League. And we were wondering, you know, is this sort of new, open, high-powered Manu going to tr- translate to the games against the big teams, or is... Jose Mourinho going to try to shut it down and play for a draw? And that's, like you said, they, based on their output here, they were outshot 19-5, to had one shot on target to Liverpool's five, expected goals had Liverpool around two and Manu around a quarter of an expected goal. Um, Mourinho didn't try to break this game open and didn't really try to win it. His team created essentially one decent chance. Um, and after the game, as you're saying, he didn't sort of, I mean, unsurprisingly, he didn't give any credit to Liverpool and was sort of like, <laughs> quote, my opponent didn't open the door for me to win the game. So he's essentially treating this game as if, oh, like one shot on goal was the best my team could have done. Yeah. Um, I mean, like it's, it's the, the, the game was, the game was there. I'm not. I don't want to say that the game was there for the taking, well, but it was there for the taking because I mean, what thinking about the the form that Liverpool's been in recently? I mean, before like before Saturday, they've been held to draws by Burnley and Sevilla at home, uh, Spartak Moscow, Newcastle away, and their only win since August was against Leicester, who later knocked them out of the League Cup. Yeah. And then fired Craig Shakespeare. <laughs> and then fired Craig <laughs> Shakespeare. Um, and I mean, like, to say that the game didn't open itself to you, I mean, like, that's the way that most of these other games have gone for United thus far. I mean, it'll be one goal maybe before halftime or just after halftime and then three goals in quick succession <laughs> in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, so. I guess they were, he was waiting for maybe like Klopp to just go ahead and you know try to do the thing where they get into a shootout, but also like in his head he'd rather not do that. Just come yeah. away with the point. A, a point at Anfield is a win to him. Yeah, Klopp, Klopp did open the door. He put Chambo on. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. He Chamberlain actually, actually played good. Played he well. Did. He, the, he had a his new move is he does the thing that like. I did when I was 13 where I would tap the ball around one side of the defender and then run around. That's an, that's <laughs> an old... Before that's an you old, even learned how to do step-overs. He did it multiple overs. times, yeah. which I love. That's Wood. an old ox move, Brian. <laughs> you, you obviously haven't been watching his Arsenal career. Not, not quite as closely as you. So, Donnie, the, you know, this has become a pretty big narrative, I think, in Britain that if Jose Mourinho wants United to win the league, especially in light of sort of Man City just pummeling every team Destroying. they play. Destroying. He needs to open it up against these bigger teams. Do you think that that's correct? Do you think we're sort of overplaying it because ultimately he did get a draw against Liverpool in Liverpool? How do you think we should be looking at this? Well, again, I think Mourinho is playing the media um, like a politician would. And uh, I think he knew full well that the narrative post-match would be, you know, his poor record with teams, you know, in away games against the Big Four, the Big Six, I guess since the last time he won the league. So that's why he mentioned Paris kind of apropos of nothing, I guess, you yeah. know, like talking about how his son loves PSG and and all of a sudden the media high focused on those comments and about how, you know, he started talking about his long-term future all of a sudden, distancing himself uh, from the result 
over the weekend. So, For context, he's halfway through his three-year deal and has not signed an extension. Just And he wants a lot more money. I mean, he makes 15 million pounds a year, yeah. and he wants more. And, I mean, I guess winning the Europa League is something. But um, <laughs> in this case, I think he's, like, issuing sort of a, a veiled threat in, in some ways. But I think the ownership probably isn't too concerned about him leaving. Yeah, it, it seems... For a while, I think we've always sort of, like, whatever Mourinho says after the game, we're, we're now just, like, used to it. So we're like, oh, he's playing the media. <clears throat> Again, not, I mean, to literally bring up Trump. I think we brought him <laughs> up last time we talked about Mourinho, but it's, like, the same thing of, like, anytime Trump says something, it's like, oh, he's distracting us from something else. You know what I mean? Rather than, <clears throat> that's just the natural inclination that people have. Um, but it seems weird to me, like, this was not an impressive performance for Man U, regardless of the result. Um, yet, to then follow that up with po- media posturing to essentially put pressure on Man U, possibly to give you a bigger deal, it seems like maybe you should wait to do that until you know your team wins one of these games that everyone's been criticizing you for not being able to win. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, far be it for me to make excuses for him or United, but we have to remember no Pogba. And no Fellaini. I mean, you know, Pogba would have made a difference. I mean, you know, as much as I like to hate on him, he he, he could have made a difference. And, and that, you know, has been, next to Lukaku, I guess, one of the most important, if not the most important player in the, in the early part of the season, so... Yeah, but I mean, like it was the. I mean, You're not just the, gonna point out how Donnie actually praised Pogba. I, I, listen, I, <laughs> I've, I was gonna move swiftly past that. <laughs> I was just gonna do you that courtesy, um, but I can't believe you know what that that just warms my heart, Donnie. But anyway, I mean, like <laughs> Manchester United going for it on Saturday was them sending one player into attack. Lukaku was up there by himself and getting visibly frustrated, which, yeah. you know. Came down to have been maybe. Sent off. Oh, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait for kicking Lovren in the head. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, this just won't. This isn't going to do if they actually want to challenge for a title. Because Manchester City, in the last eight games, have scored twenty nine goals and only given up four. They take it to the bigger teams. Yeah, exactly. And we've said it before. There, this is fine. This approach, if Manu wants to just finish in the top four, but they have the third most expensive team in the world. So that's that's not the mandate here. Um, and you're right, I think if Man U plays like this against Man City, I mean, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. Um, so moving on for that, another team where things aren't pretty uh, is it Chelsea, <laughs> who showed us this weekend that Wilfred Zaha is the most valuable player in the Premier League. What do you guys think? Love Zaha. <laughs> Love Zaha. You know what? I, I I predicted that Palace would take a point at Old Trafford. I thought maybe Zaha might be back, but it, he showed how what a difference he can make. Um, so he, does that mean your prediction was uh, has an asterisk prim- on it? It was from last yeah. Time? It was premature. It was premature. <laughs> but I think it, the point stands though that they play better without Benteke with Zaha I think having Zaha up front there kind of freedom to roam not locked down on a wing as he has been in the past it's just better than with this lumbering number nine you know yeah in the in the middle I yeah. think Zaha really showed how electric he can be so what the game we're referring to is uh Crystal Palace Scoring twice. Twice. And not just scoring, but they won a game. <laughs> and not just any game. They won against the defending champs, Chelsea. <laughs> um, and I, as Donnie is alluding to, Wilfred Zaha, who's typically a winger, um, comes back. This is his first game back. And they played him up top with Andrus Townsend, who's also a winger. And this wasn't a... I think the thing that shocked me about this, I didn't. I just saw the score when I woke up and then watched the game a little later on. This wasn't just like a scrappy 2-1 win for a bottom-of-the-table team. This was like, Palace dominated Chelsea. Palace looked it great. That first the, half especially was crazy. I mean, uh, the the movement that led up to the first goal, which was an own goal in fairness, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the movement that led up to it, I mean, Andrus Townsend looked like a new person 
the, uh, like over the weekend. Speaking I mean, they, of, they were uh, actually moving the ball around. How do you feel about Townsend's hairline, Donnie? <laughs> it's mysterious. It's <laughs> mysterious. <laughs> back, back to the soccer. I'm more worried about. Uh, I'm more worried about uh, Wilfred Zaha's hair, which you know was very XXX Tentacion light. <laughs> um, the, the thing I like about Zaha, I think, you know, he he's sort of was a former Man U player. I mean, two games. Yeah, but was a former in the Man U system, um, which is something, uh, and never sort of really has fulfilled the potential that you put on a player that was at Man U. Um, and I think he's been fine for Palace, but I think he looked incredible on Saturday, and I think maybe there is something to... This is just a theory. All these teams are playing with three center backs now, so that means a third, essentially, like, slower player on the field. And if you're putting a winger up top and you can isolate him against a slower defender, like, center backs can't hang with wingers in space. That's... I mean, Just David mean, David Luiz and, and Cesar Aspilicueta were getting were given were Zaha's giving them fits. Yeah, and right? on the, the goal he scores, he kind of gets the ball, turns and slips through two guys in a way that like it was so simple, but it made it look like the defenders had never seen anyone do that before. Turn basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think uh, I think the Zaha at striker. Um, experiment is something I'm looking to looking forward to. Can I say forward. something else about Zaha? Of course. I just uh, saw him being interviewed on the BBC uh, and like Zaha is the type of guy, I mean I've just mentioned how much I love him but he's really somebody that galvanizes fans I think. He mm-hmm. talked about how he grew up like down the road from Sellers Park. He was with Palace since he was 12 years old. You know, obviously you talked about him being at United. Moyes, I guess, got him and it didn't work out. But, you know, this was his, he's he's still not even 25. He's 24 years old and this is like his 230th appearance for Palace. So it's like somebody that the fans have grown up with and love. And, you know, when you root for a bigger club like Arsenal or United or whomever, it's like you don't really have these guys as much. I mean, that's why there's like such a contingent, a vocal contingent of Arsenal fans like myself that love Jack Wilshire because there's like some something about like the hometown guy that you know stays with your team and you stay with them through thick and thin and he comes through and you know it's like it's really warming yeah warms the hearts of, of fans I think and, yeah. and I think you saw that with Zaha on Saturday also like the post game interview he was talking about how absolutely exhausted he was that was yeah. that was very heartwarming I like that <laughs> it was great and I mean you just saw when he scored like he lost his mind. You know, it wasn't like <laughs> I was, have never. It seen wasn't that. like a co- quote unquote cool celebration. He like literally just didn't know what to do with his body yeah. and was screaming. And he was just doing stuff. Also, think, we cannot let this pass without talking about Mabadou Sako. Who? Yeah, we should mention. We this. should talk about the duality of Sako because in the, <laughs> in the 41st minute, uh, you know, plays this really just terrible square ball almost gives up a goal to Eden Hazard in yep. the 41st minute and then three minutes later he ha- he manhandles Willian yep. and slips uh, and uh, slips Zaha through for a goal I yeah mean, he, he wins the ball back like 40 yards from Chelsea's goal why he's up that high I have no idea but he wins it back and then sets up Zaha well the full the sequence was he looped like he put he looped the ball in to Zaha and it was like way too short and and Zaha running, throws right? his hands up in, in, in exasperation <laughs> And then Sako ends it back and plays him back through. And it's just, it's, ah, I love it. Last point on Zaha. He, uh, you know, he grew up in England, but he was born in the Ivory Coast. And a year ago, he officially switched his allegiances from England to Ivory Coast. And he could be a hero for Ivory Coast because uh, on November 11th, they play Morocco. And it's basically a winner-takes-qualification match. So watch out for that. Before we move on, last, real quick. Is Crystal Palace getting relegated? Yes or no? Donnie? No. Micah? I hope not, but probably. (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. I'm going to say no, too. Um, All right. Third and final major overreaction. Arsenal should sign Troy Deeney. What do you think, Donnie? I don't know if they should sign him, <laughs> but maybe they can have him give the team a pep talk because he essentially gave them a pep talk from enemy lines uh, when he basically questioned their manhood after the match. Let's uh, uh, let's cut to that and let the listeners hear it. I'm the equalizer. I'm not as 
you know, great on the eye. I'm not a great football player in terms of what they've got in terms of quality. But I'm physical, I'm rough, I'm ugly, and I, and I do all the stuff that they don't like. So as soon as I come on, that's the first thing I want to do. I want to see who wants it out of their back three, who's, who's up for the challenge. And I felt today that none of them were. Okay, so was he right, Donnie? <laughs> this is the, that's the question here. First of all, yeah, he was absolutely right. I mean, it's... <laughs> It was an awesome interview, and he was so frank and kind of... It actually started in the post-match interview because he made the comments that we just heard while sitting across from Martin Keown and, and a couple other guys in the BT Sport studio. But right after the match, he had a little burn at Hector Bellerin, Bellerin saying like his hair got in the way in that penalty incident. Yeah. So he was just had plenty of ether for all of Arsenal. And, you know, what he said is something, it's a common complaint that we've talked about it already this, this year that, you know, the Arsenal team lacks fight. And, you know, Dini, we should re- remember, actually went to jail for fighting. So he knows a little something about uh, <laughs> contact and, 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 you know, that type of uh, behavior. But, you know, he, he was totally right. And I think, uh, you know, this type of criticism gets overblown at times. But uh, in the immediate aftermath of another away match against supposedly a weaker team and capitulating at the end, it was like he was saying exactly kind of what Arsenal fans probably maybe didn't want to hear, but think. That, that's what I found. I mean, it's just amazing to hear any athlete just straight up call out the team he's playing against. Um, well, I mean, Tom Cleverly kind of did that too. <laughs> That's said, true. After they sub uh, Masut on, he was just like, yeah, we smelled a little bit of blood. <laughs> Tom Cleverly's talking shit. Tom Cleverly, if you are allowing to- Tom Cleverly to say that, uh, you know, like your team is weenie's blood, then that's just like, <laughs> It was either know. blood or hair dye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, One of the two. But it's, it's, it's interesting to me to see like, not just see a player call out an opposing team, but to like call them out along these very specific and fraught like narrative lines that have been staked within the Arsenal, the overall Arsenal fan world and in just media as as a whole. And he kind of just like poked at this literally the sorest possible spots yeah. um, among Arsenal fans. And I mean, yeah, yeah. And he really cut you to the quick. Sorry <laughs> about that. And it, it's true. He did, you know, you look at sort of the balance of chances and Dini comes on, Ozil uh, gets a breakaway and just doesn't finish it. And after that, Watford just basically pinned Arsenal in and pummeled them for the last 20, 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was hearing some pundits talking about how in any given starting 11, you want at least half of them to join a fight or something like that, or like Mm -hmm. have your back in the trenches. And, you know, it's a little hackneyed argument, I guess, against Arsenal. But who on that Arsenal? I mean, they Mesidoza won't even go into a 50-50 challenge, much less fight. And (laughs) and it's, it's just distressing, actually, when... You see players of that caliber not have that fight in them and get bullied off the ball. I mean, even as I'm talking again, it sounds so cliche, but um, what Troy Deeney said, one would hope, I mean, if this were the NFL or something, that would be bulletin board material and and the coach would clip it and pin it on the wall. Arsene Wenger's not going to do that. Well, so, yeah. it's To me, it's, you know, do Arsenal have the, kind of players that are going to play in this super aggressive way. you know, Jack Wilshire. <laughs> Bring back Jack. Hashtag. Come on, guys. I want to love anyone as much as you love Jack Wilshire. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really amazing. Um, do you guys think, what do you guys think about Watford? They're in fourth right now. Is that, are they the, remember Southampton a couple of years ago was basically fighting for fourth the entire season. Two years ago, West Ham was you doing mean, the same thing. are they Southampton or are they Charlton Athletics? <laughs> Circa <laughs> Darren Bent. <laughs> Basically, how good do you guys think Watford is? I don't think they're that good. Are they the best <laughs> best team outside of the top six? Would you give them that? Or comfortably mid-table? I think they're comfortably mid-table. 
What do you, I mean, like they're I, better than Burnley, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they're better than one team. I just think it's just like it's well, because Burnley was in a European place, right? Like last week or two yeah. weeks ago. So, yeah, I, I think Watford's attack is very good. Their defense isn't that good. I think they've um, improved a ton from last year. Last year, the last year they were I, the worst team in the league the last second half of the season, and this year new manager Marco Silva I think he's one of the best managers in the Premier League yeah, yeah he's probably the hottest commodity on, yeah. their, te- on their team so. um, and he's just got them I, I think they're they're not going to finish any worse than like 12th or something which is a pretty big achievement for a team that um, one of us and by one of us I mean me predicted to get relegated um, at the start of the season so we're going to move on from that uh, so you guys quickly forget it and take a quick <laughs> break and we'll be back with some question marks I wanted to take a second to tell you about this great app I discovered. It's called Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These aren't last resort places either. They're actually cool, top-rated hotels you actually want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally going on that trip you've been wanting to take for a while. You know, like watching any of the 32 teams that qualified for the World Cup play a pre-World Cup friendly. Because you don't want to be in the U.S. if you're (laughs) going to be doing that. Um, So even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. Get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app right now. We're back, and it's time for some zonal question marks. The first question from the weekend. What's the best word to describe Kevin De Bruyne's performance in Man City's 7-2 win against Stoke over the weekend? Micah? Sensual. Lover-like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was going to say uh, ins- insatiable, which is kind of close to that. I was just going to call it art. <laughs> wow. This <laughs> is great. We're, 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 do, we're doing great here. With the, with the, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what, what this man did over the weekend, Micah? Okay. So um, on the other side of Manchester, uh, <laughs> Manchester City banged in seven goals against Stoke. Uh, to, well, it was seven to two, or just a lot to a little, too much to not enough. Um, but they scored three goals inside the first half hour. And the second goal was, I mean, I th- like I had an audible sound, yeah. like when uh, <laughs> it was like Leroy Sane cuts back to Kevin De Bruyne and he fakes a shot and slips, like threads the needle in between three defenders and hits Leroy Sade, who plays it back across Sterling, finishes it off. And it's the kind of pass that you see people attempt in, on the trading pitch like all of the time, yeah. things that just like when they're just messing around when there's no stakes, but you never see it in an actual game. Yep. Because, I mean, like it's the, it's the three on the fast break of of you know like playing in the attacking third yeah it's the it's the kind of pass that one if it doesn't come off you look like an asshole and two if it doesn't come off like playing a no look pass if it gets intercepted you're just essentially telling the other team to basically have like a six on three the other way yeah um and yet it worked out and he cut five defenders out of the play with one like just no laser guided pass cut pass um what did you think about his performance this weekend donnie i thought you guys would say he was the belgian pulisic <laughs> wow <laughs> he wasn't that good you think so little of me <laughs> he wasn't that good <laughs> i have nothing more to add to that other than he's an awesome player and he's actually he's really fun to watch and he's what i wish ozil could be yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ozil wow. was that at, at one point. Um, I again making this a theme of this episode. That was so sad. I was. That's. <laughs> I know. Uh, I was questioning Pep Guardiola's decision to move De Bruyne back in the midfield. I think we all did. I think. I guess we all yeah. did. That was just flat out wrong. Um, the other things in this game, like one of his assists, the other assist was I, he probably had the two best assists of the season. Yeah. I mean, I guess. The first one's a hockey assist, actually. 
Um, but he intercepts the ball right around midfield, looks up, and plays like a 60-yard bent ball on the ground to the far post to Leroy Sané, who yeah. finishes it. So he's not just... He's doing uh, stuff Gabriel defensively. Yeah. yeah. So he's doing stuff defensively, and then just since he's such an, a good attacking player, he's getting the ball, winning the ball back, and immediately looking up to unsettle the defense. And it's just, in my opinion, I think he's he's the best player in the league, and it's probably not close right now. Could I add one quick question, yeah. city-related? Mm. Is Raheem Sterling the most begrudgingly praised footballer by English pundits? Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> that guy is playing awesome this season. Does he I have mean, six and six, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's... I don't know why it is, but I think probably because he... You know, it's just not a thing you've seen often. A young British player who was very good but still very young sort of agitating a move because he wanted to make more money. That's just not a thing that really... It's just not done, quote-unquote, not done in British soccer, and I think it probably turned a lot of pundits against him because it's weird watching Sterling because it's like people will still be like, he doesn't have the intelligence to his game or he can't finish or Oof. like he doesn't have the end product. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's coded language too with all this, but it's like this guy is pr- producing and just doing everything you ask for a player. Um, and at such a young age still, and yet it's not like we talk about how English players get overhyped, and if there's one who should be getting overhyped, it's Sterling, but <laughs> that's not happening. Yeah, I mean, like you've already said it. I mean, he's, I think that a lot of that also has to do with the performances that he has on the national team, which mm-hmm. don't quite sync up with uh, his performances on the club level. Yeah. But that's a disingenuous and stupid argument because. I mean, they're two entirely different things. It's yeah. like the reverse Ozil, because <laughs> on the national team, he's playing with a bunch of shit, and then, you know, with, with City, he's playing with amazing world-class players. That's true. So Raheem Sterling's awesome. If you guys see him hit a ball over the crossbar, think about all of the other goals he's scored and not don't focus on the one time he messed up. Show him some respect. Um, speaking of young British players... What's the over-under on Swansea's Tammy Abraham's goal total this season? Donnie, you first. Wait, how many does he have right now? Four. Four. Um, He's going to get ten. What do you think, Micah? Eleven. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Ten and a half. Ten and a half. Ten and a half. (laughs) But what's the over-under on Tammy Abraham goals for Chelsea in his entire career? That's you know they're trying of, to. Rec- I heard they were trying to recall him, but they can't because of some kind of like minimum appearance. Or I guess he hasn't reached it yet, but there's like a some kind of stipulation that X amount of appearances and he can't be recalled. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of the the bigger story here. Um, a Chelsea owned player is a young, talented Chelsea owned player, Tammy Abraham, is scoring goals, and Chelsea can't score goals. And that seems like an issue. Doesn't <laughs> no, it? It's just like Tammy Abraham scored two goals and Mishi Batshuayi was subbed off after 60 minutes. <laughs> that was, that's the, I think that that's the, 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 the best way to put it. Yeah. Well, I, I think uh, like he's looked really good. He's 20, um, was great in the championship last season, like we ca- talked about a couple years ago, a couple episodes ago, not years ago. Mm. <laughs> um we had, I guess, some questions about him coming into the season and playing on Swansea. You know, it's sort of going back to what we were just saying about Ozil and Sterling. It's like, it's hard to divorce a forward's performance from the quality of the rest of his team. And Swansea have kind of been up and down. Um, la- last year, we're very defensive under Paul Clement. Um, but he's got four goals. He has more expected goals than Murata and Lacazette. And he's 20. So I think he's, to me, he's sort of shown that he de- he deserves a chance at Chelsea, and he has just scoring goals at a young age usually pretends well for the future. Um, I mean, that and he's, I mean... He weighs like 95 pounds. He weighs 95 (laughs) pounds. But, uh... And his name is Tammy. It's a great name. It's a great name. (laughs) Also, he might play for England, might play for Nigeria. There's another sort of tug of war going on there. Hmm. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, Third question... Be honest with me, you guys. Did you know that Tottenham 
had 17 points from eight games and was in third place? No, I, <laughs> I honestly didn't. I mean, they got the the you know utilitarian one zero win over Bournemouth at the weekend. <laughs> Wait, um, what's the question behind the question, though? Is that the question be... behind the question? Is Tottenham's pretty good, and we don't really talk about them. We talk about them all the time. The big the story of the season so far has been Harry Kane. No, this is true. I mean, uh, other, than, other than Pep, other than Pep and, yeah. and City, but and we've been talking about United all season and Liverpool just being an up and down roller coaster, and we talk about Arsenal a lot. I Actually, just I kind of I kind of inadvertently stumbled on the point here, I think, which is you know a lot of people have made uh, a lot out of Pep's calling Spurs Harry Kane's team, mm-hmm. and I actually just did that exactly. <laughs> inadvertently because they aren't they're more than Harry Kane's team. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I kind of think that they've, you could make it the case that they're the second best team in the league right now. Um, just because you know what they're going to do and you know what they can do against any kind of team. And with Man U right now, for me, it's like against a good team. You have kind of have no reason to expect that much from them. And I think the Wembley storyline sort of became the thing everyone was talking about with Tottenham, but that doesn't appear to be a thing anymore. Um, and I think the Chelsea game, they they probably get, did get a little unlucky. Um, but they've just been super consistent. And to me, it's at this point in the season, it looks like, you know, we, we should say they're about to kick off against Real Madrid um, while we're recording. So when they lose that game 7 nothing, and all of this is moot, um, <laughs> forget it. But to me, I, I look at the league right now and it's, there's a top three teams, and then it's Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool kind of behind that, um, fighting for the, that last spot. Um, and I, I, I just don't think that Tottenham has been talked about in that way yet. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they're, they have, I mean, like a really sturdy back line. I mean, thing with uh, Hugo Lloris being up. Hugo Lloris being the shots, the ridiculous shot stopper that he is, and Eric and Erickson just still just in wonder goals only mode. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. And you have Harry Kane who can go and you know get the goal when they need it. I mean, like they have goals in the side when they need to pop up. Yeah. By the way, Liverpool just scored. Just that's just for you, Ryan. That's that's beautiful. I cannot wait for Maribor to score on a free kick from 50 yards out. Um, all right, moving on to the last question. You guys, is Newcastle on the verge of being a great team again? Uh, is is this is this about? Uh, <laughs> oh, this is about Mike Ashley selling the team. You guys are doing really well at picking up. Uh, on the subtext of my question. I know. It's just like, you know, it's... <laughs> just, just, you see the, the light bulbs go up. And can, We're just taking a little time here. to boot up, you know? So so I'm asking the question because Newcastle owner Mike Ashley uh, is now putting the team up for sale and he supposedly wants the team sold by Christmas. Um, and I think Mike Ashley is essentially hated by all Newcastle fans. He bought the team back in 2007, and has essentially run the team. He owns this company, Sports Direct, which there are a lot of issues with this company and the way they treat their employees. And he's essentially essentially run the team in a lot of ways as a billboard for Sports Direct and kind of tried to straddle this line of make the team just good enough to not get relegated but not spend a lot of money on the team. So he, the ideal Mike Ashley finished for Newcastle was... Uh, 17th place basically (laughs) still in the premier league still getting that tv revenue but not spending money on any players and yet they've gotten relegated in three of the past five seasons so i think newcastle is a very storied premier league club st james's park is a great stadium a big stadium um and so bringing in an owner who is going to try to actually improve the team seems like it could be a way for newcastle to sort of solidify themselves one as a Premier League team, and then as a sort of upper echelon team. What, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think they never really stopped for the reasons you cited being a great team uh, because of the support and because of the stadium. And I've been seeing these numbers being bandied about as far as the selling price. I think Forbes had them valued or in the ballpark of like three eighty million U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. 
but I'm seeing that they could go for as low as 300 million U.S. dollars, and that to me is a bargain. That's that's basically what two MLS expansion club fees, yeah. uh, or roughly like the Buffalo Sabers or the Islanders, <laughs> or two Mbappes. I would mean, you, it's really. Would you rather own the Islanders or the um, or Newcastle as our resident hockey fan, Donnie? I would 100% rather own Newcastle. Would you rather own any hockey team over Newcastle? I actually rather own a Premier League club. I think it'd be way more fun. Than you wouldn't the- rather own the Capitals. Oh, that's a tough one. But the thing is, is about, you know, like you're beholden to the commissioner as a uh, sports owner in, the, in, in America. And I like the idea of the Abramovich style of kind of swooping in and, and making a, an imprint without any kind of real regulation. So you'd be, see, you'd like, be you, like the Russian oligarch. You would owner. be drunk with power. <laughs> I would be. You would definitely see me in the owner's box. Dealing in, th- in third party ownership. <laughs> it, 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 it is interesting, though, that you would think just on you just immediately think from all we know about the TV deals and all the money in the Premier League that a Premier League team would be worth much more than that but I think the thing that these people have to take into account is especially with Newcastle as I said they've been relegated in three of the past five seasons so like that risk is still there so when you buy a team one you have the risk of your team getting relegated right because you lose money from that but also when you know that that risk is there it sort of means that you can only make so much like long-term investment in the team, whether it's like the training ground or bringing in a, a higher-paying staff and stuff like that. You can't really do that if you don't ha- know that the revenue from the Premier League is still going to be there. So I think that's why, probably why um, the price is so low. But it does seem like a. it just really, for a smart owner, someone who can afford this, it seems like, this is sort of if you had to pick any team in the Premier League outside the top six as like a team to buy and then vault back up into the top six, it would it'd be Newcastle, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it would. I mean, because when you think about the, um, I mean, like think about the story of Leicester. I mean, it, it's gonna. It, I feel like yes, it could play out the same way yeah. if you have the right person that's willing to spend money on the club. Um. But, I mean, it all depends upon who that smart owner is. Yeah, that's true. I uh, I think they should give the team to that fan who punched the horse in the face a couple <laughs> of years ago. <laughs> but, yeah. Maybe, we should convince Bill to buy it. That's a great idea. <laughs> and then we could run it, the three of us. And Chris Ryan. <laughs> okay, we're going to sh- stop the podcast now and go formulate our business plan. This is a good <laughs> run, guys. We'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> Um, no, but thanks guys. We're going to take a, take a quick break. Donnie's going to be leaving us. So goodbye, Later. Donnie. Um, and then we'll welcome Noah Davis for some USMNT talk. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the ringers gambling podcast. It is called against all odds with cousin Sal. And you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta. And they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's Make Believe Casino, where Sal makes up props on on all kinds of things. Sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are joined by, in my biased, completely biased opinion, the greatest U.S. men's national team writer on the planet, Noah Davis. How's it going, Noah? Wow. I don't know. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm a little shocked by that. I appreciate it. Uh, In my biased opinion, I think it's also true. So two for two two there. Yeah, Micah doesn't agree, actually. I never said that. (laughs) I never said that. My silence does not mean that I don't agree. (laughs) So, no, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup. Uh, I, I was actually I was there at the game and I watched them not qualify. So I think I knew probably like seven seconds ahead of the viewing public, given whatever the television delay was. So I've had seven more seconds to process it, and, and I'm I'm already over it. So can you, it. can you can you set the scene in the game for us a little bit? It was it was really surreal. I mean, it was 
you know, they played in this stadium that's like the second second string Trinidad stadium in Trinidad, and it was uh, maybe a third full, probably even less than that. I mean, you could hear, you know, there were U.S. fans across the field, probably a couple hundred of them. You could hear the occasional U.S. chant, um, although there was not very much chanting because the U.S. was playing so lethargically. And, you know, it, it felt like, I mean, it was a stadium that, no offense to the, the stadiums in Trinidad, but, you know, you wouldn't even think of it as like a stadium in Friday Night Lights. It was so small and were, you know, pretty old. And uh, one of the journalists next to me, Martin Rogers, got a horrible electric shock before the game started um, and had to go get checked out by the U.S. team doctor. So the whole thing was just wow. very surreal. And then the U.S. started playing and uh, looked like they were all in slow motion, which I've never seen. I mean, I've definitely seen games where – half the team is kind of not there, but like to, to see the entire team just sort of walk through uh, what was an extremely important game. What was very strange. Yeah. They and were it, playing like they were like, they like qualification was already a given. Yeah. Well, they yeah. were more playing like they were already eliminated. I feel like is kind of how I felt watching that. I mean, yeah, like either were, one resumes that they, they assume true. that, <laughs> <true>. <laughs> that, you know, like the game didn't really matter or was a foregone conclusion. Um, yeah, it just seemed like they were very uh, tired or lethargic or, or yeah, just I don't know. It, but it was it was weird being there, and it, you kind of thought they were gonna they were gonna wake up, uh, and then that first goal went in, and you thought, okay, maybe now, and then they didn't, and then that second goal went in, it was like, well, maybe now, and then they didn't, and they kind of. You know, and then uh, Christian scored like immediately after halftime. And you're like, okay, now they're going to get going. And even then, they were really just like there was no sense of urgency at all. Was there like a notif- notable shift in the stadium or in the press box once the results sort of soured on the U.S. in with Panama and Honduras? I mean, I, I don't think people in the stadium really knew what was going on with Panama and Honduras. Um, one person actually asked us after the game you know, what happened. Um, I would say after the second goal, the, uh, fans of Trinidad and Tobago, you know, they got really excited and they started to think that maybe they were going to win this game. Not that it really mattered, but I think they were excited just to see their team beat the U S. Um, the results, I mean, all the journalists were paying attention. Um, the Wi-Fi wasn't great, but people were kind of paying attention, you know, online, wherever they could. And you know, it, it was weird because even, even at halftime, the results were still, I mean, obviously the game there wasn't in the U.S.'s favor, but the results elsewhere, a lot had to happen for the U.S. not to qualify. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for a while it kind of seemed like the U.S. was going to play in that fourth place game um, before Torres scored for Panama. So that was, I think everyone was kind of stealing themselves for that scenario for 10 or 15 minutes or however what, however long it was. Um, and, and then Panama scored and it was just like, oh, this is over. And it was just, I, it was just so shocking that, you know, all of that happened on the same night for the U S not to qualify. It was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it was, you said it, you called it surreal earlier, earlier. And like now that we're kind of almost a week removed that that's, that to me is the best, best word to describe it. So what you've written about this for the ringer, I've written about it too, and everyone should go read both of those pieces. But what do you What's next for the U.S.? So Bruce Arena has resigned. Sano Galati has likened play to pay culture to piano lessons. <laughs> yes, he, he did do that. Um, so what's what's the next domino to fall for the U.S.? Um, I think, I mean, they have games in November, so I think they'll have to get, you know, it sounds like Tab Ramos maybe is going to be the interim coach. They'll have to get a coach for those games and, and bring in some of the younger players, um, which I think will be exciting to, to see those guys. I think that the next step is, you know, focus on focus on the future, obviously. I, I think the election for U.S. Soccer Federation president is going to be um, very interesting. I, I don't think that Sunil resigning is the right answer. That seems like that would kind of throw throw the program into a state of chaos that, isn't really necessary. Um, and, and Sunil is also, even if he did resign, he's not going to go anywhere because he's still going to be in charge of the U S 2026 bid. He's still going to be in FIFA. So, um, I, I don't think that that's the right answer. I'm interested to see if anyone sort of a more viable candidate steps up to run against him. I think, um, you know, I think the guys who are running now have some pluses and some minuses, but I don't think any of them are the right person for the job. I certainly don't think Eric Winalda is the right person for the job. He hasn't announced anything. <laughs> um, you know, that's like, 
putting Trump in charge or something like that. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, um, Three times. I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I, I could go both ways, whether Gulati stays for another four years. Um, I, I think the program is going in the right direction. I think there's a lot of talent in the youth. I know we're going to talk about the U17s in a little bit, but I think that team is really good. You know, there's a lot of players who are 18 to 20 who are, who are good. Um, Weston McKinney, Ashoka, uh, Gonzalez in, in Mexico. Um, you know, even a guy like Tyler Adams in New York Rebel who's had a great season. I think there are, you know, four or five or six or seven guys who are going to make a push to make this World Cup roster who are between the ages of 18 and 21 or 22 who didn't figure in qualifying. Um, so I think that the development program has actually kind of started to figure itself out. Um, I, I can see if there's a viable candidate, um, you know, it would make sense for Sunil to either lose the election or step down and, and say he's not going to run and just, you know, focus on winning the, the World Cup in 2026. Do you, the, the thing I've been pushing up against recently is that, like, managers in soccer rarely stay at a job for like more than three years now and the next u.s coach if say they hired the coach for the presumed 2022 world cup um if they hire that guy now that's like a pretty long commitment and it almost seems to me like it would be impossible to find the person that you want coaching the team at the world cup in five years right now um does that complicate the hiring process do you think they go for sort of give the job to tab for a little bit and then see how that goes and then bring in like more of a actual manager type once we get closer to the world cup or do they go for you know one of these random european washout (laughs) names that's being bandied about yeah i mean i i hope they don't do the latter uh i i think you're right i think you know that's a long time to be head coach i I do think it's a pretty good job i mean it's it's well paid the resources are there uh like i said i think there's a lot of young talent in the program we were saying Um, earlier that it's also kind of you can't do worse you can't really yeah (laughs) exactly yeah you're at rock bottom so there's nowhere to go from there um yeah i i I hope they take their time a lot of time hiring a coach i mean i think tab you know the advantages of tab is that tab has been the u20 coach for the last couple cycles and the youth technical director so he knows all of the talent that's coming through probably better than anyone else in the world um and so if you're talking about you know trying to figure out what what kind of level of talent is in the program who are going to be the leaders for the next cycle i think he's a really good guy to see this in an interim capacity and you know bring guys in he has a rapport with with all of them so you know i I think he yeah i think he should be the interim coach for now um he is i think the problem with tab is that he is close to this current you know u.s soccer federation regime which everyone seems very up in arms about to to get rid of uh for understandable reasons and I, I think also a little bit of that american soccer community uh is very reactionary i think the fan base is very reactionary so they want to see a reaction they want to see heads roll um so i hope they you know kind of stay the course just a little bit and and let tab oversee you know the be the be the interim head coach be the nominal head coach for a while and and really take their time uh finding a manager because there's there's no rush nothing is happening for 18 months um but further looking forward to the future how about the u17s though i mean like specifically tim weah who started as like a substitute really and recently scored a hat trick against paraguay is he the best player in the world ever well, I mean, I think Andrew Carlton is the best player in the world. He's the <laughs> second best player in the world. So, I mean, I, I think that team is great, and uh, it, it's fun to see them do well because I've been excited about them for, um, you know, at, at least three or four weeks at this point. Um, I, th- I think Andrew Carlton is is a wonderful soccer player. Uh, I mean, he he hit this amazing pass that resulted in that first goal. You just sort of see he just under he sees the field better than. Um, so many American players and I think that's great I, I think you know Josh Sargent has been bottled up a little bit hasn't had a great tournament but is still obviously a very good player uh, he's better at, is, the, uh, at the U20 level at the U20 <laughs> level exactly yeah he should have started him against Trinidad see what he had um, 
So, yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, you know, who knows where these guys are going to go. Uh, the U-17 tournament is very unpredictable when it comes to talent. I think the most positive thing is listening to the coach, John Hackworth, talk is just, you know, hearing him talk about how many guys could have made this roster um, and, and how many difficult decisions he has because you never know who's going to pan out. But you want you'd rather have more guys, more potential than and less, which is obvious, but you know, I think I think there are probably forty or forty-five or fifty guys who had a legitimate shot to make this roster. I think they tried out about they brought ninety guys into camp um, over the past two years, and so to me, that seems like that's a really good sign for the future of this age group is that there's so much talent there, and you know, if you get fifty guys who are who have the potential to be very good, some of those guys are going to pan out. So um, I would love to see them beat England on Saturday and, and make it to the semifinals. I, I was amazed that no U-17 team had won a knockout game at the World Cup since Donovan and Beasley and Beckerman and those guys did it in 1999. So they sort of, they they achieved that, uh, which seems like a, a huge stepping stone, if nothing else. Yeah, and it, it's just interesting to see this juxtaposed against the failings of the senior team um, and then all of the fallout from that, you know, because... Like you said, like Andrew Carlton, I think is sort of, sort of representative of all the good things that are happening in U.S. soccer, right? He's an academy product from Atlanta United, um, and he's an extreme talent, you know. Also, um, which is kind of the th- just a homegrown player in an MLS club. Uh, just that's just not even a thing that was ever possible like mm. ten years ago, right? Mm. And that, I mean, that Atlanta United Academy, I mean, that, that thing didn't exist 18 months ago, Yeah, you know? And so it's, there, there are a lot of problems with youth development in the U S that's for sure. And then the pay to play is, is a problem. And there's a lot of issues that need to be solved, but there's also a lot of good parts too, where, you know, Carlton, I, I talked to him a while ago and, you know, when he was, when he was 14, he knew he wanted to be a pro, but he didn't know where he was going to be able to play. And then Atlanta United starts an academy and he, you know, gets really good training and, and dominates. And uh, that, now, we're, now we're here. So there's a lot of those stories coming through if you look for them. Yeah, I I think you nailed it. Like the, the reason to get excited about the U17 team, like it's fun to watch them play and it's going to be great to watch them beat England. Um who will inevitably melt down in some way this weekend. But it's, you know, it's that they have these, like, three sort of stars, right? And maybe the teams in the past only had one, and that they have just this huge depth in numbers, and that it, that it's just a very... It's a, it's robust in a way that it's never been in the past. Yeah, and I think even, you know, Georgia Costa is, is a guy who can't get off the bench, and he's come in a couple times and looked great. And I think there's just... There's a lot of talent there and and who knows who pans out but i think somebody's going to and if you look at sort of the you know the mls academies there's 20 or 22 at this point and it's like if if those 22 academies together combined every year could produce one guy who's as good as Kellen acosta that seems like to me that seems like a huge step forward for u.s soccer that they haven't had before and that also seems like a very achievable goal that they have already started doing and will only get better so i feel like the the talent in U.S. soccer is never going to get worse, um, which is a good thing. It, it's incredibly disappointing to see them miss the World Cup, but it, it's going in the right direction. Yeah, if the academy system was in place 15 years ago, Micah wouldn't be podcasting with us. He'd be <laughs> playing. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily true, uh, but I appreciate you know the vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah, we still believe in you. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Noah. Once the... Uh, once the U-17s win the World Cup, we'll have you back on because I didn't. I definitely didn't just jinx it. No, it's definitely. I think now they're definitely going to win now. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Noah. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, so that was your shot of hopefulness and positivity from the Ringers resident U.S. soccer expert, Noah Davis. And that is going to be the show for this week. Thank you for joining us. I'm Micah Peters, and this is... Ryan O'Hanlon, and we'll see y'all next week. Thanks, guys.
Ryan, things change. The weather changes. Your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Night, you don't have to because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals right now.